Can I, just before we start, clear this up? Because it doesn't matter how many times somebody tells me something, I either forget it or misremember it or get it wrong in the end anyway of some kind of horrifying psychological tick. But pronounce your name to me. Nadine. I'm right then. So many people say a different version of it that it it's makes Nadine. me doubt myself. Steve Lamax is Nadine. <laughs> Brett Anderson is Nadine. It's actually Nadine. But then growing up, everyone was like, Nadine, I didn't. I wanted to make it more showbiz. Just, just lean on the nay a little bit more. Lean on the nay. The festival. Here we go. There's really nothing quite like it. When you pick the right acts to see, it's musical nirvana. So if given the power of the festival gods to have absolutely any act you desire, alive or not, playing in that perfect spot at the perfect moment, who would you choose? MC5. Oh, yeah. And Stidgers. Detroit Supernova. I just imagine this is the perfect one. It's going to be Burt Bacharach <gasps> and Friends. I was like, yes! It's such an anthem for yes! that, isn't it? If you're wearing a coat, you got to take that coat off, baby, <laughs> and get wet up. Behold, the greatest day of our lives. Ah, yeah, let's go! Welcome to the lineup, you beautiful spirit of Eden. I'm so excited. We want to be free. We want to do what we want to do. It's real like the Nadine Shah All-Stars, really. I can't get the staff. <laughs> I mean, you should see the state of my band. Introduction. Our next guest on TLU, which is short for the lineup, is a woman who has shifted through numerous musical gears since her first releases almost a decade ago. Really? From sort of jazzy chanteurs through power pop to malevolent velvet underground flecked epics. There's always that velvety voice, that vibrato, the soul, the anger, the romance. It's all in there. She tells it like it is. She's a valued voice against the oppressor too. She's won Best Album Awards. She's been Mercury nominated. She also sings the word note, for which she'll always be celebrated in our house. Let us make fictional festival music with our guest today, Nadine Shah. <laughs> We were going to see how long you could keep, keep I mean, the silence keep going silence, for. So just going to look at your face. <laughs> that was a beautiful introduction. Do you take issue with any of it? No, I loved all of it. There was nout wrong <sighs> with it. It was lovely. Thank you very, very much. I love the nout when people sing things like that. And also when people sing in a non-Americanised accent or an accent that is very much their own, it's always a lovely thing to hear isn't it? I mean, the Beatles all started all that, didn't they? You know, they were singing in a slightly Liverpudlian accent. But the Newcastle, uh, Newcastle, but the Northeastern accent mm-hmm. um, comes through nicely on a variety of musicians' work, I think. You think of somebody more contemporary like the Future Heads. Mm-hmm. You think of somebody like Alan Hull and Lindisfarne, people like that. Sam Fender now a little bit. Yeah. He's very good. Yeah, I think it was the Future Heads that got me kind of started doing it. But I, I started in like a jazz background, mm. but I had been listening to the Future Heads and Field Music and Maxime Park and all them. And the Golden Virgins, if you remember them. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then I started singing like the Cole Porter jazz book, that kind of stuff. Do I understand out a little bit compared to everybody else doing these covers? And then just started using a Geordie accent. And my accent wasn't actually that Geordie when I first came to London. I went to a very, very, very posh school. I'll have you know. 
And uh, it kind of, they ironed out, I had elocution lessons. Really? At, not at school? Yeah, at school. Because I came from the other side of the river, the wrong side. <laughs> and um, I, but they wanted us to all, well, they, they make carbon copies in these yeah. kind of schools. It's like this all girls private school. And they kind of want to make you all carbon copies of each other, including your accents as well. So they really ironed out any of those northern accents that were there. And then I just started putting it on again when I moved to London because I went to college in London as well. And on the first day I met this lass and she was like, so where are you from? I was like, oh, Newcastle. She went, oh, you don't sound like it. And I just went, why I do like. And it just stuck. And my mother was devastated. She was like, well, you sound like a fishwife now, Nadine. All that money and all that education. But it served a really great kind of purpose when it came to singing because you get these lush, big vowel sounds when you sing. So it's it's like a really good tool to use. That's really true, actually, because it's and also I think that anything that's different, a little bit different than the stock in trade of most singers, which is let's face facts, even people come, coming from the UK, it's eighty percent Americanized, isn't it? Really, you know. So it's yeah. nice to just it really cuts through nice that. But I do like your posh voice as well. I don't. I'm not used to hearing that. It's so weird because it's just so on point. It's horrible. It is, I know, but I go really husky when I do, and I'm already quite husky, but it goes even more husky. It's, Stop um, it. Yeah, it's awful. Oh, really I don't know, awful. I think you could pick up some serious voiceover work with that voice. I've been trying for a long, long time. <laughs> anyway, um, and you're not a stranger to, the, to this kind of format. You did a thing called Payback on, I think it was Instagram Live, wasn't it? Where you're, you're interviewing the interviewers, as it were. Yeah, I'm more comfortable doing that, to be honest. I've got a bunch of questions for you here as well. Great. Sure. No, it was just during lockdown, I had, when I had now to do, I was just bored. And at the time, um, yeah, my album... Kitchen Sink was released during lockdown. Perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) The best body of work I ever have, probably ever will make in me life down the drain, dotted down the kitchen sink. (laughs) And um, yeah, then the record label at the time, they were like on my back always like, oh, we need more content. We need more content. And I was like, what can I give you, man? I'm I'm stuck in a one bed flat with me fella. And like, I've got, nothing of note to say I can't like go out and take fun photos at a place and do anything and also like thinking of like novelty novelty ideas just makes me feel Mm. sick I was like why why don't I just we just release the music and that that's enough but it wasn't but then I came up with this idea to do this payback series because I generally had like a massive I still do have a massive interest in music journalism and also how it's changed over the years which it has significantly now unfortunately, to its detriment, I think. Have you ever felt misrepresented? Have you ever felt like you've got a bit of a beef sometimes with the establishment? I mean, I had an ulterior motive, you know. So basically I was interviewing all these journalists who were just about to review my album. (laughs) So basically I just made mates with all these music journalists and stroked their egos loads. And then they all wrote great things about me. Absolute genius. Yeah. Yeah, did all right. Fucking hell. I thought of that before I started the lineup. Well, you know. Next time. Check one. Testing. Is everybody ready yet? We good? Let the day begin. No, you know what the game is here. Uh, I am your festival genie. Uh, I can make anything happen. And what we're doing is we're creating the perfect day. Uh, of a festival arc from the dawn chorus all the way through to whenever you want it to finish, you know. Right. It can be a 24-hour thing. 
five artists, are living or dead, um, the first thing we've got to ask is where in the world should it be? Oh man, not not the UK, because you know I've, I've been stuck in the UK for a long time now, and I've also played a bunch of festivals in the UK. And when it comes to catering and weather, and you know how good looking your audience is, it's just <laughs> joy. But I, um, one of my favourite ones I ever played was in Oslo, mm. and my mother's family were from there, and so that was quite exciting being there because I hadn't been there before it's expensive it's going to be an expensive festival mind if it's in Oslo it's, fa- it's fantasy so it doesn't matter okay out of interest if you're in Oslo and you yeah. want a pint mm. are you, what you're looking at are you looking at north of eight or nine quid for a pint I think it's like 12 pounds it's really expensive I got sick of like when I was with buddies and them saying like how much I was like just, can you just like accept it yeah. and can we just all move on <laughs> like, we're holiday it's like we're holiday millionaires yeah that's just, the way doesn't, you've got it to doesn't do exist it. Just, yeah. just get it out it's fine but Oslo I really liked it there yeah the backstage area was amazing we can make our own backstage area right so, oh it's all completely up for grabs there was a swimming pool at this one okay so I want a swimming pool uh, do you want a 25 or a 50 metre? Do you want? A, we might as well make it an Olympic size. Right, okay. Yeah, cool, cool. Olympic we'll size that. swimming pool. Um, massages. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, there'll be saunas. You know, there'll be um, I mean, free, free stuff. Yeah. There has to be free stuff. Lots of tote bags, but with massively expensive toiletries in them. Oh, yeah. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? So yeah. you go, you, oh, no, that's a... That's that bottle of moisturiser would be ninety quid in Liberty. Yeah, but that. So there's loads of free toiletries. Yeah, that you can keep and then re-gift to friends. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Are we in the proximity of things like fjords or anything like that? My geography is terrible. So is mine. Well, let's just put some fjords in the background put some anyway. Fjords in because it's beautiful. Because it's a nice backdrop. And I mean, should it be that time of year when it's like pure darkness? Yeah, go on. Because then, even when the first act comes mm. on, they can have a nice light show. Like a sort of permanent dark, twilight darkness. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's when we'll do yeah. it. What are we going to call it? Oh, man. Sh- Shambhala? No. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think of a name. Um, Na- oh, Nads Fest? Nads, Nads Fest. <laughs> Nads Fest. Oh, it's a right Nads Fest. Like a sausage fest. It's a right Nads Fest in here. Every gig I ever play is a right Nads Fest. Everywhere. No women. Just Nads everywhere. Just Nads. Goodness nads me. Nads the days. Oh, right, okay. There yeah. you go, that's easily done. I'm sorry. No, I think it's, I think that's exactly right. I think it's, it's appropriate. Okay. Um, and so here we are in Oslo. It's, it's permanently dark, but my God, the sky is just a tapestry of stars. It's beautiful um, all the way through the day and the night. And we've arrived, not that it really matters because it's just going to be permanently dark. Mm-hmm. The first question is, uh, who's going to be in your festival crew? We want real people, but we also we want your friends if, if, if you want to bring them. But also you can mix in uh, some living or dead musicians, actors, celebrities. It doesn't matter. Is it? Yeah. I mean, Anthony Bourdain. That's a great suggestion. Anthony Bourdain and Jay Rayner. So there's yeah. a there's a, a heavy slant towards the culinary there, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, would that suggest that you two are obsessed with such things? Yeah, I really like eating. I love food and that. I really like. I I love food so much. I eat it about three or four times a day. Yeah, me too. Oh, twins. Obsessed with it. Twins. But it's always um, at a festival. I always I always see somebody 
with something better than what I found. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've just bought something. Okay. You're a couple of mouthfuls then in. Then you sit down. That pad thai, where do you get that pad thai from? Every, every time. So I, you know, Anthony and and Jake kind of do that work for us. Yeah. Like, this is the best thing you'll eat at this festival. I also really fancy Jirena. So just as a bit of eye candy there for me. There's something... Uh... You know what I think about Jay is I never met him actually. I'd love to. Maybe we'll get him on eventually. Yeah. But he gives me the impression of a man. He's got a very he's got a very sensuous mouth, which suggests to me that not only does he enjoy f- food, but you know what I mean. I get I know, the feeling you know that what? he'd enjoy yeah. other earthly pleasures as well. Yeah. Am I right? Am I no, getting? I think I, I think that even hit the nail on the head there. I get that exact same impression from him. Getting he's the also, cue. Um, he's a musician himself. Does he play? Yeah, I, I think he. That. I mean, he's in like a blues band or something. That, that rings a bell. That. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, we've got our five, but there are always ways of incorporating. In the mm-hmm. past, we've had late night tents. I remember we had Simon and Garfunkel in one once. So you know, we could have a little tent off an offshoot tent later where we could Jay could maybe play a few tracks. Right. You know, we'll just have to see. No, that's great. What do we do for breakfast to set us up? Well, we have to ask. We have to ask Jay. Just whatever <laughs> he comes up with. Whatever he comes up yeah. with. Um, my normal go-to is pizza. Cough. Pizza for always, breakfast. Always. And in fact, the last festival I was at, I was at a real life festival. Not as good as this one, but um, I was queuing for my morning pizza, and I looked to my right, and that little fella. Oh, he's love. It's called Jordy Greep. Isn't he? Geordie Greep from Black Midi. Yeah. Real life yeah. name. And he's also queuing up for a pizza. I already liked his band. I like his band a lot better now. I like the cut of his jib. He's going for his morning slice as well. So this is like literally about nine, nine o'clock in the morning or something. Yeah, half nine. Fucking brilliant. I love this because I, funnily enough, I was saying this yesterday. Mm-hmm. By the way, Jay Rayner's jazz quartet exists and he plays piano. Of course he plays piano. Match. Good with um, his hands as well. Oh, imagine oh, those. Stop it. Roaming about. But um, <laughs> that sensuous mouth. <laughs> but um, getting the cue. For me, you can't give me enough pizza. So that it's problematic. I'm a bit like a Labrador. You know, I've been at parties mm-hmm. where somebody orders 10 pizzas and people aren't hungry for whatever reason. So there's like four left. Well, Sean, he's just plowing his way through four 12-inch pizzas in the corner. There's no stopping me. No, always. It happens at weddings now as well. Some people get these little like um, pizza vans in, don't they? Yeah. If they're fancy. They make them into like their own little festivals. And I'm there. <laughs> so Brilliant. this is great to know that we've got a pizza breakfast to yeah. start us off. And let's just get right into it now. It, who's going to be the first band, the first act that we see at Nads Fest? Lionel Richie. Oh, hey! Nick Cage high kick. I love him. I've seen him... <sighs> 11 times in concert. Have you? I've seen him more than any other artist ever. Yeah. When, when was the first time you were in, you, you saw him then? Teddy West Arena, sometime in the late 90s, I guess, or early 2000s. Yeah, I think, yeah. Who yeah. took you? Was it? Me mother. Your mum? And me dad. <laughs> so is it fair to say that, that they infected you with their enthusiasm for Lionel? They infected me with a lot of things. And um, every time Lionel plays, he always opens with hello. Every single time you're like, oh, you won't do it today. But every time his little funny little face comes out in that glorious smile and just, hello. Get every single time. But I didn't get to see him at Glastonbury 
I was there that Glastonbury that he played, but it was too busy mm. and they wouldn't let me in. And I think at the time I'd seen him nine times and I was crying to the security guard going, but I've seen him nine times. This will be my 10th. He's like, you've seen him enough. <laughs> Get back. You've seen him enough. <laughs> Show these people ain't seen him once. Yeah, well, that's yeah, pretty much what he said, but I didn't, well... Appreciate it, but it was the Sunday afternoon. It was uh, the the legend slot about whenever it was twenty sixteen or something, wasn't of course it? It was, and I missed that as well. And I'm gutted. He but he actually played Lionel Richie played uh, Lee Sports Arena. I come from Lee Lancashire, yeah, and it's a weird spot, Lee, Lee Sports Arena, because it's as as unsalubrious as it sounds in the middle of a let's be honest, an unsalubrious former mining town. But every so often they get a massive megastar in there yeah. Lionel Richie played all the windows in all the houses uh, anywhere in Lee they just had those big Lionel Richie masks like stuck in the windows so it was like Lee was Lionel town for a few days it was beautiful he's a superstar a really he's a very nice man as well though isn't he I mean for my I got married and um, my first dance song was Lionel Richie as well Dancing on the Ceiling of course it was Dancing on the Ceiling always but he just I think he's a very lovely person and I've been I've been at festivals before when I've had to play the early slot. You could go for like something somber to kind of ease people in. Mm. But I think it has to be something really joyous to be like, come on, yeah. let's shake it off. Yeah. And now we're going to start the right way. I love the confidence of artists. It's like the, if I'm a big Flaming Lips fan and whenever, mm. whenever you go and watch the Flaming Lips, they start with Race for the Prize, which is kind of arguably their perfect biggest song. And I love that about Wayne and the boys, that they just go, it's probably our best song and the one that everybody knows, so we're just going to start every every gig with it. Yeah, brilliant. And also, pretty clever tactic as well if people hear about that, because sometimes, especially at festivals, people will go and see a band that they like, but towards the end, because they want to hear the, the big hits, and they're not that interested about yeah. it. So sometimes we do reserve our, you know, our, our B-team songs, Yeah, and we've put those ones first, and then the, the big hitters... You know, I've got about two of them. We'll leave until the end. But actually, you know, it serves you right. If you've missed it, you should have got there early. Do you do you have a technique when it comes to playing festivals and things like that? I mean, if you're not Elton and you don't have three hours worth of hits, you know, surely you've got to have a, a way of doing it. Or do you just... Well, well, though, my only... My kind of premise is I have to be hands-free these days because festivals, they're not always my audience. Mm. And I always get this like massive anxiety of having a pint of piss thrown at me. I've j- it hasn't happened yet. Touch. I couldn't really get it that far when I came watching you. I was like, no, good, I'm 100 metres away and I've got you a bad shoulder. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you know, love a trier. <laughs> Next time, it's not an invitation. But I am, I am terrified of that happening. Yeah, I, I used to play piano on stage. And we supported Depeche Mode on tour a bunch of years ago. And uh, one of the first things Dave Garn said to me on this one occasion, he was like, have a great show. I hope no one throws any shit at you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. And my band were all looking at me kind of, these kind of guilty blank faces. And I was like laughing, but none of them were. I was like, what? They had kind of nervous laughs. And I was like, is that, what did he mean when he said that? They were like, oh, you don't need to know. I was like, what do you mean I don't need to know? Apparently the last band that had supported Depeche Mode around Germany had a bag of shit. Sorry, can we swear on yeah, this? Thank goodness. Um, but they had a bag of bag shit of thrown shit. at them on stage. A bag of shit. And I would have I wouldn't I wasn't hands-free on that tour. It was I was firmly glued to my piano. So I wouldn't have been able to deflect is the thing. So that's a priority of mine at festivals. 
to make sure that um, I have like an easy exit and a way to, yeah. you know, bat off whatever's coming towards me. But I mean, I play a latitude in things like that. You know, I'm never invited to Leeds or Redden. So I doesn't, you know, I'm, I've been all right. There aren't many tote bags full of shit being flung, flung about at Latitude Festival, are there? It's not no, that kind and, of thing. and not at this festival in Oslo either. You'd, you'd go, you'd get sent to jail if that happened immediately, the festival jail. What is it about Lionel anyway that he's just so... I was going to mention karaoke because for, I imagine for a lot of things it's like an, an anathema to what you do, but I, as a failed musician, mm. I love a bit of karaoke. And... Um, my top three would always include Burning Love by Elvis Presley. Mm-hmm. Um, but always uh, it would have to be a Lionel Richie hit in there. It was not Dancing on the Ceiling all night long. Yeah, brilliant. That was always the one that I did. But what is it about Lionel that just makes him one of your top five? Is it just that pure positivity? Pure positivity. Also, I think, I mean, there's, there's a pattern emerging. I think he's very sexy. I've always, I've always fancied Lionel and his leathers. Um, <laughs> he just, I love an artist that doesn't take themselves too seriously mm. as well, because I think there's too many that take themselves far too seriously. And he doesn't, I mean, you look at his merch table and like he's, he definitely he plays a part in it and his tea towels and it's like, hello, is it, is it tea you're looking for? And things. <laughs> I love a pun. I think he's daft. But also he's, um, he's an incredible musician and he's made countless amounts of incredible hits yeah. just hit maker yeah and I, I really like him I love that I think you're right I think that combination of unarguable talent bit of sexiness with the leather trousers yeah. but also like you you deployed the word daft nicely there people who can just they, they can still be seriously great but they take the piss out of themselves a bit as well it's a, it's a it's an amazing combo isn't it yeah, I haven't sang any of his songs in karaoke because I have a rule mm. and I think it should be a general rule for all trained vocalists mm. that you're only allowed to do impersonations. Well, that's it. And I don't do Lionel Richie. Who, this is great then because let's just jump right to this. Okay. There's a karaoke tent, by the way, at Nads Fest and it's just off to the left there and it's, it's just going all the time. So in the lull moments, people pop across there. Decent bar in there as well. So who are you doing impersonation vocals of? Tina Turner, private dancer. All the team. Anastasia. Do a good Anastasia. Can we get any? No. No. Too shy and sober. Private dancer. Dancer for money. I'm your private dancer. A dancer for money. I can't do it right now, though. I, I need to be... Blotto. Yeah, blotto. We've got the John Snow and we'll come back and finish this. Yeah. Hey, do you know some, you, I bet you already know this. Yeah. Who wrote Private Dancer? I don't know. That. Right. I'm going to, this is a gift this is. Oh, thank you. He's from the northeast of England as well. Mark Knopfler wrote Private Dancer. Really? Yes, he did. Prove it. I don't know. <laughs> did he? Well, I'll tell you no, what I'll do. I'll wait. Really... I'll wait for Natalie. What she'll do in, in moments time, that'll flash up confirmed. I believe you because she also had a guitarist called, oh, I'm, I've got a terrible Civ-like memory. Me and too. Like, loads of musicians, it's like, what was your favourite album? What was your favourite track? I don't know, I can hum your line of them, but her guitarist is called John something and he's from South Shields. Oh, uh, really? Mm, really. So there you go. Yeah. So she's got form. Set me free. Oh no, all this misery. That's Anastasia, isn't it? Yeah, that, so is. that, that can happen later. Mm-hmm. Confirmed, by the way, Private Dancer. Uh, Confirmed. 1984, written by uh, Martin Offerman. So oh. 
what a legend I am. Um, <laughs> but it is about performing, it's about performers, and that's the thing about festivals. You're one of the great performers. What I think about what makes people into performers. Now, unless I've got this bit wrong, I didn't know that you you were ill as a kid. You spent a lot of time in hospital, didn't you? Yeah. No, I know that this has happened to people like Tom Jones and I think Ringo this this happened to as well. Tom Jones spent like two years when he was a kid in hospital and like in his bedroom because he had some kind of uh, malady which meant that he couldn't go outside. Probably what turned him into such a sex bomb. Oh, let me at him. Because he's just sitting there and he's in his bedroom and he's 15 and he's looking out the window. Oh, let me at those girls. Oh, my. And his mum's like, you sit yourself down. I don't know what accent that is. Um, you know, so it seems to happen to a lot of the greats. This, what was it about that experience that galvanized? Did it make you a bit more focused about succeeding, being a performer, being a musician? I've just had a lot of time on my hands. So they had this illness called and he knocks purpura. It's like when your your immune system goes against you. And okay. I lost like the use of my legs. Jesus. And um I've got fantastic wheelchair skills to this day. Yeah. yeah, I was in hospital for a long time, but it's my mother died recently. So she's the one who knows everything. Like mm. my father, I asked him recently, I was like, so how long was I in hospital for? He was like, I was going to do a Pakistani accent and I'm allowed. So is that okay? Thank yeah. you. He was like, I don't know. You have maybe, maybe two months, maybe one year. Can't remember. <laughs> two months of one year, dad. Link, how are you, son? He just no idea. I think I was in hospital for four months. But then after that, and my immune system was kind of weakened. So there were things like, if I got cold feet, like literally cold feet, I'd get poorly. I'd have like kidney infections and stuff like that. So if it was cold, I had to be, and I wasn't allowed to go ice skating. And I was just like quite literally just wrapped up and kept indoors. So like I had to stay in a lot. And my mum and dad were always very worried of me getting poorly again. Mm. So I guess that time inside in kind of solitude, my, my brothers, I've got two older brothers and they're a bit older and they don't want to hang out with their little... Yeah, of course, they don't. poorly sister. Um, you have to make your own fun. So you're a bit like an only child. Yeah. And you're not allowed to, you know, you're sat at the window looking out at the world, so you're an observer. That's very interesting, I yeah, think. Yeah, I've just thought of that myself right now. You're an observer. I'm an observer, yeah. Which is, of course, the ultimate tool of the songwriter, isn't it? It's a very handy, handy tool of a songwriter. Back to Jay Rayner again. <laughs> that guy haunts the whole podcast. Yeah, well, hopefully. <laughs> no, but that is interesting, I think. It sounds like you were almost literally sort of wrapped up in cotton wool in a sense. You kind of had to be for your own well-being. Well, yeah, and then at that point, there was just like, there was, um, we had a record player at home and I would sit and play my mum's old records and my granny's old records. And there was one that I would, so I just kind of sit in my room. Have you seen that film, Little Voice? Yeah. Is it Jane Horrocks? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and Brenda Blethyn, who lives down the road from me now. Does she? Yeah, and Ramsgate. Did you it? see her sometimes? Sometimes, but I haven't spoken to her yet because shy. Yeah. And, um, but it was kind of a bit like Little Voice where I'd sit and imitate the singers, but just for hours, just try and try and try. But my mother hadn't realised it wasn't the record. So Shirley Bassey was the first person that I imitated. But I was teeny weeny, but I've, I had this huge voice. It's still pretty massive. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's funny. It, yeah, it's got a funny old voice, but that's where I kind of um, developed my vocal as well as writing as well. But from a really, a wee that's age, I'm staying in, in me room. It's like a training ground, isn't it? And, and I suppose, do you think your mum and dad were worried? I mean, that's what parents' job is to worry, isn't it? 
and you worry about every every single aspect of your kids' lives. So do you think they were worrying about you a lot at this at this time? My dad's think? still worrying about me yeah. now, man. My mum, my mum, <laughs> my mum literally doesn't sleep, and she, you know I'm fifty next year, and I had this conversation with her recently. She said, I'm not, I had to talk to my dad about it, and he's like. She doesn't sleep much. I said, what is that? Is that a, what is it? Is it, you know, a caffeine thing? It's like, no, it's you. It's, all it's you and fault. your brother. It's like, it's not, it's not your fault, but that's just what she was born to do. She worries about everything, thing about you. And it's like, Christ almighty. So that's our fate is to worry ourselves. Oh, it's because they love you so much though. Was it gratifying in the end for, for your mum and dad to see you flourish into the artist that you became? I think that actually made them worry even more <laughs> when they saw me getting to, in the music industry and they'd like, when I first started as a jazz singer, they weren't as worried. They thought that's a respectable line of music for her to be getting into. You know, I, I can see that being like a, a nice career. But then, you know, they'd co- come to certain gigs and they start watching like rock and roll documentaries and scaring themselves. And they're like, oh, she gets bigger. Mm. She's going to end up in their priory or she's going to end up like... But uh, yeah, they've, um, I mean, they're really proud, but they're also, my mum wasn't a stage mother at all. Like there was a time we played with Depeche Mode in this huge, huge arena in Berlin and her and my father came down to see us and they were side of stage. And once I'd finished, I like, I sprinted to my mother and I was like, mommy, 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 what did you think? And she went, Ina Dean, that blue light didn't out for you. <laughs> Oh, oh, cheers, mum. I've just played in front of 50,000 people, but but the blue light wasn't that flattering. Thank you. Yeah, so, oh, God. I mean, yeah. look at where we are, though, now, you know, with, with Nadine Shah, one of the, one of the, such a significant artist that she's on the lineup curating her own festival. Oh. Your lyrics seem to lay your soul quite bare a lot of the time. Uh, do, do you ever feel like, I've revealed too much this time? always feel like I've revealed too much. It's like hanging out your dirty laundry for everybody to see. It's that thing. But then again, there's, well, there's certain artists that sing in like an abstract way and it's really beautiful. And I'd like to be one of those artists actually, but I just, I don't possess the talent to be able to make these abstract, poetic, weird, wondrous bits of music. The way that I write is very much just um, plain speak in that tired old rhyme. But it, it... there is a thing where it's like conviction's like a rat and you can smell it a mile off. And I think if I was to write about other things or try to, I don't know, try to imitate another person or, I don't know, I think people would see through it. Yeah. And I think one of the things they really like or they connect with is when there is an artist who's who's telling, the, you know, the truth, their truth. Is that what we call it these days? It's this not the truth, truth anymore, it's my truth. My truth. But it's true, it's true. <laughs> But it is true. And it's like, I know what you mean. There's that oblique Dylan-esque way of doing things, which is beautiful and poetic, but it's also very indirect. And he could be talking about me. He could be talking about his ex-wife, Sarah. He could be talking about going to a Ford dealership in Camden. We just don't really know. You know, but your stuff's very on the nose and, and that helps people. I, I think you're right. There, there's probably studies about, I mean, I'm sure there's a, there's probably a, a degree somewhere you can yeah. do in, in the unpicking of his lyrics. And that's just not going to be the case with mine. But that, I'm all right with that. I think I, you'd be very surprised. All right. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. 
The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Okay, we move on to the second artist on our list. We are shuddering up to the, you know, almost lunchtime. And Jay Rayner, he's not quite ready for lunch yet. But who's the second artist on the bill? Oh, it's difficult, man. Right. Talking heads. (laughs) I make such stupid fucking noises when people reveal their choices. I'm going to stop doing it now. I'm going to pull a funny face instead. (laughs) <laughs> I've never seen them play. I haven't. You haven't? I've I seen th- David Byrne. I thought Byrne. you were going to say that you had. I've seen David Byrne, but I've never seen Talking Heads. I... Tell me about that. Tell me why. Because they're one of the best bands in the whole world ever. <laughs> what more do you need for What more do that? you need? I've never, ever seen them play live. I would have loved to. I mean, David Byrne does this pretty, like, fantastical thing now, doesn't he? Where it's like the sets look amazing, where he makes them in... It's like a theatre production. The one Is that, that what you saw? That's right. And it, it, everybody was dressed in sort of grey suits. And it was almost like a ballet piece and a theatre piece and a, a gig at the same time. And everybody, the musicians, all wore their instruments and to the extent that the, even the percussionists and the drummers were sort of wearing their, and so they could all join in with the dances and stuff. And right. only somebody like David Byrne could come well, up with yeah, that. I mean, I just, I can't get the staff. I mean, <laughs> you should see the state of my band. Seen them. I've seen them. They clip with them. <laughs> I mean, oh yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah, I can, I can imagine some serious backs being thrown out if those guys started trying to throw themselves about. But even if you're David Byrne, how can you, I don't understand how he's managed to find people who are the top of their game as musicians, but are also like sort of ballet dancers. I mean, that, those people don't fucking exist, surely, but he's found them. You know what I mean? Hurling themselves about the stage. Hey, I did a performance with some ballet dancers recently. Tell us about that. Yeah, there was like, um, what did I have, 27 or 17? Let's say 27. And um, it was this piece, oh, there's this amazing choreographer. She's called Lynn Page. And um, she got in touch with us during lockdown or some, whatever. Yeah, probably yeah. lockdown when I say yes to everything because I was desperate. <laughs> do you want to do, um, I want to rework one of your songs with like 27 ballerinas at the Royal Opera House? I'm like, yeah, that's never going to happen. Um, but it did it happen. Did. Like, uh, What songs did you do? Just one song, one of mine called Trad. Yeah. Off the new album. And it was like a, what, an 18 minute version of it with an orchestra. And uh, with the Royal Ballet Company dancers on the stage of the Royal Opera House. It was one of those phone calls where you think it's like a mate having a laugh. Or you think it's never going to come to fruition. That sounds great, but good luck getting that funding. Um, And we did. I was really overwhelmed by by their work ethic and also how how smart and how tough they were. Because many of them have come from, they're predominantly quite young women, 
And many of them have come from, you know, from Russia, from Korea, from all over the world. And they've left their families at really young ages, like yeah. 16, to come and live this dream. And, you know, that there's not many people that get into the Royal Ballet Company. So it, it was just, I was really in awe watching them work, but also how they, how they were together as well, because they become a family because a lot of them are just miles and miles away from their actual families. And it was just a beautiful, like a, a female solidarity. We had all female dancers, but it was just, I was in tears watching them dance to my music. Wow. Like it was just something special. Well, and, I, yeah. is, is that something that you would have ever envisaged in, in your wildest dreams? That... Yeah, in most of my dreams all the time, <laughs> actually. I think about that when I do a podcast, I think, I can imagine seven or eight, uh, you know, of, of the English National Opera ballet dancers mm-hmm. bringing this to, to a sort of visual fruition for me. Yeah. I mean, Sydney I, Opera House or something. Well, exactly. That's where you should be. And I mean, I'd also, the next dream, I want, um, there's no, I haven't got, there's no drag artist. There's no Nadine Shag yet. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's not, but one day and then I'll know I've made it. I've yeah. got my ballet dancers, but that's, yeah. that's. That's the next level, isn't it? Mm, yeah. I could be. I I can feel fate tapping on my shoulder there. Oh really? I mean, that's what a lovely start as well. Lionel Richie in the morning, talking heads, just coming up to lunchtime. Mm-hmm. They might finish on a crowd pleaser like "And She Was" or something like that. You know what I mean? And then we've got to think about this lull moment, right? We've had two really high adrenaline moments. We might. Do you think we might have a lunchtime drink? Uh, and, and I think Jay Rain is tapping you on the shoulder now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's thinking, I know. Well, <laughs> this is the problem with Jay, isn't it? Those hands. And Anthony Bourdain. Anthony, I mean. Uh, yeah, Anthony Bourdain well, hey. as well. I, I, you know what? I, I, I say this a lot on this podcast. I, I know what, from what other people have said about Anthony Bourdain, I know that he's legendary, but I have yet to um, experience his legend. You've got to watch. I mean, that was one of the things that during lockdown and even like after my mother died as well, I go on about that a lot. I'm sorry, it's still even a year. And um, But he, I, it got me through grief, actually, and then got me through like a really depressing lockdown because um, it's called Parts Unknown. I mean, how many series are there? Like, I don't know, 12? I don't know. There's loads and there's loads of episodes in each. And he's just a really... He's a really beautiful man and he's an anthropologist and he's also like a wannabe rock and roll star as well and a great, he's, just, he's a really enigmatic, gorgeous man. It's unlike any other travel documentary you'll ever see because you feel like you've actually experienced the place and he's taken you to meet the best person from there and you've been to the best place and he's, I don't know, I think he's incredible and you should watch it. Yeah. All of the episodes. That's really good, actually. That gives me something to do once I've boshed the uh, Beatles Let It Be documentary, which is going to take up most of the next week. Oh. Very excited about that. But just to talk about your mum for a a little bit, does it help to do that? Because, like you say, it's it's a very recent thing. Mm. I think it's way more healthier to talk about it and think about her in the daytime. I wrote this kind of poem, which is going to be a part of her work later on, but it's kind of from her point of view. And it's like, what would she want to say to me and her two kids now she's not here? Because I think she would hate how upset we are. She would hate how ill that we've been. And I think that she'd hate for us to remember her poorly because she was a glamorous, gorgeous woman. She would hate to be remembered like that. 
And I think she doesn't want, like, so I wrote in this thing, like, you know, um, only think of me in daylight, never let me haunt your dreams. Because I don't make a ghost of me, never let me haunt your dreams. I think it's really important that we don't. And so I kind of, I let in as much of it as possible in the daytimes so that I can sleep. Yeah. Because when she comes to me in dreams, sometimes it's nice, but it can be awfully harrowing. And um, she would hate that. So I think it's kind of the best thing I can do. Yeah. For me, this is my best kind of coping mechanism. And also I've got lovely things to say about her because she was just a really great person. She sounds it. I, I, I might be wrong here. I'm always like nervous when I'm quoting things off the internet that might not be true. But I, I read that your brother called her something like Queen of the Misfits or something. What, what was he? Is that right? What was yeah. he getting towards with that? The patron saint of misfits. Patron saint of misfits. Yeah. So what, what did he mean? Well, just, you know, every Christmas we always had one extra kid at the table where it was like one of my brother's mates whose, you know, parents were being pretty awful or, you know, something bad had happened to them. One of their mates came around one Christmas and we'd asked him, I remember I was only, I must have been about seven years younger than him and I was only little. And I said to my brother's friend, what did you get for Christmas today? He said, a bucket and a sponge. And then, you know, and my mother was just, and my mother had already prepared a pile of presents for him. And um, we all sat around this table and, you know, he would come a few Christmases and a few other ones would come in. My mum would always buy them presents and she'd be there if they wanted to talk about stuff or she, you know, would let them not talk about stuff. And she was just, yeah, she was really cool. And kids came to her with secrets and she'd keep them. Yeah. And like, she'd never snitch on you to your parents or anything. Like she kept secrets. She was really cool, but... Yeah. Do you think that's one of the things that she bequeathed to you that need to to stand up for people? You know, and you, you, a lot of your lyrics are, are gorgeous like that. Is that where a lot of your like holiday destination, the albums, a lot of talk? You know, the, a lot of conversation about the refugee crisis and things like that. Do you think that's part of what your mum has given to you? That sort of compassion. Yeah, I mean. I- there's a song on the new album called Prayer Mat where I talk about it quite a bit but I call her um, a pioneer because in South Shields South Shields is a really special place actually it's very different to other parts in the North East you had you know some of the first immigrant populations moved there in Leigate and the Yemeni population but still she received abuse for marrying a Pakistani man for dating a Pakistani man and I think she was you know I think she was brave Mm. too you know, yeah. uh, at that time, and uh, she didn't suffer fools easily. You know, people were because she was a very tall, blonde-haired, green-eyed woman, and she pushed around these olive-skinned, dark-haired kids. And you know, some you know we were spat spat at in the pram and stuff like that sometimes. But she was a very brave woman, and she was super proud of her mixed-race kids, like unbelievably proud of having these mixed-race kids. And I've always seen how empathetic she was and how kind she was. She used to be working um, a palliative care for end of life. And she always, always sticks up for the disenfranchised, always. And uh, quietly, she yeah. wouldn't get on a stage like me, but she'd be there. And like, you know, I remember her, the three words, like, I've got you. That's, that's her. She's just beautiful. And I think those three words are the most beautiful ones yeah. in the world. And she's very much that, like, I- I've got you. That says everything, really, doesn't it? Mm. Did you ever go to a festival with her? I mean, I know she was at the Depeche Mode and that. Depeche Mode, she came to Oslo, mm. where I outed her on stage for being Norwegian. 
and the crowd just lost their shit because they? they could tell I wasn't lying because yeah. I just saw this this really tall blonde lady and they were like yeah um, she was very shy though so if someone was like, she would hate if I mentioned her name on stage yeah. unlike me father who just like loves the attention and sometimes I'll just walk around saying thank you <laughs> thank you thank you this is all because of me thank you yeah <laughs> Well, we're back to Nads Fest. Oi. Jay Rayner's just brought us some spatchcock poussin <laughs> with couscous. Uh, on my request, no mint. I despise <laughs> mint in savoury food. Um, who are we going to put on after Talking Heads? How many? How many are we down now? You've got you've got three left to do. <laughs> oh, I'm three. Gonna, gonna... Talking Heads, Abba de Pervin. One of your favourites, I can tell by your expression, Sean. I thought you said Avril Lavigne. <laughs> it's like, hang on. No, I, I actually think you've stumped me here. Uh, say it again. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I mean, she's a good singer. She's class. I hope she's okay. I heard that she's... Did she get Lyme disease? Oh, something? no. What yeah, I get scared of getting that. Um, Abadar Parveen. Okay. Can you remember ages ago, there was that song that Massive Attack did with the guy called Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan. Yeah. It was like a remix of one of his songs. It must have come out on Real World or something like that. Yeah. So Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan is a Sufi singer and I guess he's like revered as like the godfather, mm. like the best one. And then his kind of like a protege, disciple, or what do we say? Yeah, I... um. Yeah, I'd go for either of those. Right, it's protégé. Protégé, protégé. Protégé. It's Abadar Praveen. My dad would listen to loads of this Sufi music. They're just like religious love songs. I've got no idea what anybody's saying. I don't speak Urdu. I have not a clue what's going on. But I think whenever I listen to Abadar sing, it's like the closest thing I'll ever have to a religious experience. Even though I don't know what she's saying, mm. I've got no idea. And also, in that um, in that part of the world, the only other female singers that I'd heard from like India, from, from South Asia, they have they sing in really high voices, like ridiculously high. And I can I can never sing that high. And she sings with a, a very low low voice. And I love that there's a first of all, it's a woman on stage, and especially in that part of the world, and she's revered so so highly and really respected. I always worried what, I, I don't think it would have been possible to, for me to have had a pop career in Pakistan. Mm. It just, no. But yeah, she's incredible. And she has the, one of the most powerful voices I've ever heard in my life. And she's, uh, she's a superstar. Is she still, forgive me because I don't know, is, is she still uh, extant? Is she still working? Yeah, and she's living. We, um, my dad always said that um, whenever, I, <laughs> I think this is, well, my dad always said, if you ever get married, I'll get her to sing at your wedding. I think he knew how expensive she was <laughs> and he thought I was never going to get married. <laughs> so what happened? I mean... It's... Well, I did get married yeah. and we found out how much... He went, we put in the call, put in the call. So we did um, 80 grand. Yeah, we couldn't... That's, no, that's couldn't. a bit much. It's a bit. I mean... She is great though. It, that does put the ticket price up a little bit, doesn't mm. it? You have seen her live or you've you've seen her perform? I saw her once play at the Barbican 
The Barbican. The Barbican. Yeah, and uh, it was an amazing, amazing show. You know, I've seen it twice, I'm lying. But also, I think when I saw it at The Barbican, I was surprised how many um, English members of the audience were there, not just of Asian heritage as mm. well, because she's, she's revered all over the world. And it's really nice to see people embracing that kind of music as well, yeah. who also haven't got a bloody clue what she's saying, but they really vibe on... Just head delivery. I don't know. We were talking to Gregory Porter last about. Um, I ended up in a in a hotel uh, corridor in my underpants because the fire alarm went off. That's another story. Hmm. But Gregory was talking about how you know his voice and his music is based in sort of the Pentecostal church, and of course, a lot of American music all the way back from from New Orleans and from jazz and through all the way through those motions and rhythm and blues and blues. It, it echoes from religion. And 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 that's where that's why a lot of this intensity is there, and and I guess you could say that for a lot of the music that we love, uh, is that there's something in that, isn't? It? Even if you're not a believer in something yourself, it's infused with something ineffably powerful. Going to any gig where people love a particular artist, it feels like a religious experience. Yeah. Like going to Nick Cave gigs. I do feel like I'm part of a religion. He's when like I'm a preacher, there. isn't he? But he, I mean, he had, he loves Jesus. Mm. He really loves Jesus as a person and everything. And he takes on this kind of a, I don't know, like a, a messiah-like mm. role is probably not the right thing to say. And I'm sure he wouldn't like that. And I'm sorry, but but he, we are his followers. I love him. Yeah. But I, he's I, not playing this festival. He's not? Right, okay. Well, that's for him. Can, no, he, we could put him in the, I tell you what, put him in the karaoke tent. Oh, he'd be fucking great at karaoke, wouldn't what he? What would his karaoke song be? I just think be? he'd do a lot of Elvis. I think, of course, he'd do Elvis. You're right, he'd do a lot he'd of do Elvis. He'd do a lot of Elvis. <laughs> Speaking of legends like that, of that stripe, before we move on, I was just going to quickly ask you about like your early days. You know, it was quite a jazz-influenced way in, but you were also quite good mates with, with Amy, weren't you, with Amy Winehouse at the beginning of, of your career? I think I've hammed this up a bit too much. In past interviews. Well, you were. Well, I did. I did. Um, yeah, I moved to London when I was 17. And the this kind of fellow that I worked with, who was like a manager type, dodgy manager. He was lovely, but, um, but dodge. And he ran the Pizza Express Club on Dean Street um, and kind of took me under his wing. And there was another great guy who was my booker. And um, they just introduced me to loads of great jazz musicians who would come down the club. Amy would come down the club every night. My manager at the time, he said, like, you have to sit at the bar and just watch everything. If something's sold out, it doesn't matter. You sit at the bar every night and you watch everything. And I had no mates. I lived with my brother at the time and my brother was like seven years older, you know, cool and Mm. didn't want to be stuck with his little sister all the time. So I just pretend to him like, oh, I'm going out with my mates. Oh, really? Like, yeah. But I just sit there every night and then, uh, yeah, shared a bottle of wine with Amy at the bar once or twice. And then we realised we lived down the road from each other. And then, you know, we'd go to the good mixer and things like that. In my mind, when I told the story about how good friends we were for how long, I found an old diary and we were friends for about five weeks. (laughs) About about five weeks. But I was like, oh yeah, for like years. It wasn't, it was, I looked at the timings because... In my diary, I put in one entry in going, I met this girl called Amy. I think I fucking love her. Um, I think I call her naughty or something. She's like, no, I say she's like a fellow gremlin. Um, and then my last entry, um, <laughs> 
And I have a quote from Amy, the last thing she ever said to me. I'm never, I can't say this swear word on this though. You can. I'm never ever speaking to you ever again, you C-U-N-T. <laughs> she said that to you? Was it because you <laughs> had the last glass did. of wine out of that bottle or something? Do you remember cool. what that was about? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I borrowed her band okay. and that's not cool. That's not cool. I borrowed a band for some show and you she was really, Amy Winehouse's band. I nicked up. I gave them back. Um, <laughs> but yeah. But she taught me loads. I, it was it was like it was amazing to watch her perform and also I just think she was just a superstar. I wish she was obviously I wish she was still here because I would love to hear Amy's songs at the age of forty, mm. at the age of fifty, okay, at the yeah. age at the age of eighty. Mm. What's she gonna be singing then? Like there's some timeless shit going on anywhere with her, wasn't there? So it was like, you know, if, if Tony Bennett thinks you're great, yeah. you've fucking cracked it, haven't you? We've got Peggy Seeger, who's a superstar. Peggy Seeger just wrote a really great album. I think she's 87, I think. I might have aged her. But um, she's actually the mother of my guitarist, Neil McCall. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. What a bloodline to be part of. Yeah, it's pretty nuts. Um but her recent album, she has one song called Invisible Woman when she sings about being an older woman and, you know, losing the male gaze mm. and not, you know, all this kind of, which is a good or a bad thing, mm. depending on how you look at it. But also the next song after that is called Lubrication and it's a sexy song. She's 87 and singing right. sexy songs. She's just, and I could imagine Amy singing, you know, something akin to that. Yeah. I don't know. But for me, she's kind of my... My older idol that I go to. I think she's a superstar. But yeah, Amy at Winehouse. There hasn't been one since, has there? No. But what a gift that we have of the music that we have from it. Yeah. It's just still listen to all the tape. So true. How are you doing out there? Are you ready for the next act of the day? People, make some noise! We're coming to the sunset moment now. It doesn't really work in this instance because we're in Oslo, the permanent darkness, right. but we've really amped up the lights for this bit. Who is it for this faux sunset moment? Is this our penultimate act? Mm. It's, uh, it's Scott Walker. I said I wasn't going to make those noises. Who only died a couple of years ago, didn't he? What kind of era, Scott? Yeah, when you say, because he is one of those artists, unlike Nick Cave, detested performing live. Mm -hmm. Like, he just hated it. And I think famously, like, even his own music, he'd, like, make an album, finish it, and then he'd take it into the mastering suite and say, play it really loudly, because I'm never going to hear it again. Liar. (laughs) We all say that. Um, He'd never performed live. You know, you always see him with his cap kind of cowering underneath it. Cowering, hiding, ignoring us. Yeah. Yeah. I love everything from the Walker Brothers, like the sun ain't going to shine anymore. Nor, and then, you know, Scott, I think the first one's just called Scott. Yeah. Two, three, three's my favourite. What's the one with the old man's back again on that ridiculous bass line? That's Scott Four, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's got Jack. Yeah, no. Maybe. I mean, I'm told you I'm not that guy. I can never remember what's on what. I'm a generalist, not a completist. Don't ask me. Yeah, great. 
Um, that, and then also there's a bit where he's gone off and done stuff on his own for a while. And then he gets back together with the Walker Brothers and makes this incredible album. Is it called The Electrician? Night Flights. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. And it's like, it's, oh, it's just, how do you describe music really, really well? Shaw. It, <laughs> it's just dead good. Do you know what I mean? It's like just really, really, really good. Yeah, Night Flights is just, it's, it's amazing. And there's a song in it called Electrician, but it's kind of, it's a bit where the old Walker brothers and Scott meet together, mm. where he just says to the lads, "This is this is how, what the music, this is what we make now," and it's an incredible album. So a bit of that, and then he goes really weird. And my mother was a huge fan of Scott Walker, and then when I played her things like his more avant-garde later stuff, like unlike a lot of artists, I guess some start weird then get commercial. Yeah, is that the normal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Art to get the. Edgy's knocked off sometimes, don't they? Yeah, but he went the complete other way. So he ends with albums like Tilt. <laughs> Tilt's the album I would put on if I had a house party and I wanted you to leave. <laughs> it's just, it's terrifying. I've not really listened to that, to be honest. Don't bother. Well, you know, no, do it. It's like, it's a really great, important piece of work. But it, it's like, by no, it's not a fun listen. Like if, I, if I'm doing an interview with The Quietest, I mention that album. Like, it's cool, <laughs> but it's not nice to listen to, really. But then there is another album called Bish Bosh, which is a bit more palatable and fun. I'm not that guy who loves really ultra avant-garde music, right? Um, I'm a bit more meat and potatoes than that. It will, will shock and surprise people to think. But I also absolutely love the fact that people create this music, even though I'm not necessarily, like you say, going to put it on on a Friday night with a glass of cheap Montrachet but it's just great that it exists he's just got it all hasn't he he's in that voice yeah those strings and those yeah Scott 3 has some of the most incredible songs on it here's a thought Mm. would it be just just for shits and giggles would it be interesting to have Scott Walker and Lionel Richie do a song together you think that that might work I think it would definitely work and also that Scott Walker was like we were saying about about with Lionel Richie Scott Walker is definitely one of those people who does not take himself too seriously. I think he's, I think he was secretly yeah. daft. But, you know, he just didn't do interviews and stuff like that. But I reckon he was you know, a daft bugger. And I think he'd be well up for that, should he ever perform out of it again. One, two. I mean, we've got ourselves an excellent lineup, as you would expect. But we're here in Oslo. It's been it's permanent blackness, permanent night. We'd, we've put an extra 50p in the in the electricity slot and we've got some even more amazing lights. <laughs> so here we go. This is it. It's the big reveal, the big headline of mm. who we're going to have. I haven't headlined a festival before, so am I allowed to do <laughs> Yeah. Wait, it's me. Hey! Nobody's done that yet. Wait, because <laughs> they're too serious. <laughs> what a great idea. Yeah. It is a great idea because it's like, with with all due respect, I mean, how can anybody expect in any other situation mm. to headline a festival, Lionel Richie, Talking Heads, and you've already appeared with them. Oh. Uh, and, and of course, you've got Abida Parveen, we've got Scott Walker, and then on come you. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be, but I've got loads of special guests. I've got a list. <clears throat> Here we go. So... Tina Turner, Nina Simone, David Bowie, Tom Waits, Leonard Cohen, and the Pointer Sisters. 
I'm so excited. The so it's, it's like it's really like the Nadine Shah All Stars. Really, it's a bit like when Ringo Starr goes out, the All Star Band, and he has like oh the big names. So it's a bit like that. So yeah. would you would it be like you do two or three of of your back catalogue, and then it's like like to introduce a special guest now. Yeah. And then Tina Turner comes on and you do Probe Mary together or no, something. No, she sings one of my songs. <laughs> Which one would Tina sing? She that, wanted to she? do Fool and I said, listen, Brett Anderson's already done it. Pick another one, love. Um, yeah, she she did Out the Way, which is a heavily <gasps> political song, but she is, you know, really right on. Um, she does that. What would Nina do? Oh, Nina, um, she's not really that into my political songs, oddly. I thought she'd be really impressed by them, but she said they were a bit piss poor compared to The King of Love is Dead in Mississippi Goddamn. So um, she just chose Dreary Town, which is a song that I wrote ages ago, which is a bit sad, and she made the piano part way better. Well, you would expect that from somebody with the chops that that she's got, really. Yeah. I mean, what would Bowie do? Um, whatever he wants, he he's sings. probably going to be a bit confused anyway because he's got he's just he's coming on after his hero Scott Walker. Mm-hmm. So do, do you think is is it possible that Scott comes back on? Oh, it's entirely possible. Mm. Yeah, would, would that guess the triumvirate there of you, Scott, and David? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. It's you know the handing down of the baton between the three of us. Yeah. is it? It's a well, we we yeah we do that physically on stage. And it's a glorious moment. And yes, the three of us sing a song together and it's a haunting, beautiful experience. And you must be quite proud of yourself because nobody's done that yet. That's that's a, that's a bit revolutionary, that. No Headlining one, your own festival like that. It's a brilliant, brilliant idea. I'm sure there's many artists that have put on festivals so they could headline it. Yeah, you're right. There must be. Not on the the lineup right so you you that nads fest is the first of those oh man chuff so what a do what a bloody do uh, yeah. a ding dong do off we shuffle uh stage left uh i suppose we must head for the karaoke tent where nick cave's waiting for us and um you will probably sing would it be Tina Turner or would it be Anastasia, do you think? Well, I don't, Tina's there. Oh, yeah, that's and awkward. I, 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 well, yeah, I get it, Shay. You know, so Anastasia, she oddly couldn't make Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, right. Do a couple of her songs. Anastasia and Macy Gray, possibly. I try to say goodbye and I choke Try to walk away and I stumble I try... I don't know. I tried... <laughs> <laughs> we tried and failed. Um, what can I say? What a guest. What a fantastic morning, afternoon, evening and night from Lionel Richie through to Talking Heads uh, through to Abida Parveen through to Scott Walker and then the, the ultimate headliner Nadine Shah with amongst others David Bowie, Tina Turner and Nina Simone. It's the perfect lineup as far as I'm concerned. Anthony Bourdain as well and Jay Rayner will be bringing us refreshments. Um, Aldi wines and, and roast beef sandwiches to finish I hope you've enjoyed yourself Nadine yeah I've had a, a very pleasurable time thank you for getting me out the house thank you very much for being <laughs> our lineup guest today Nadine Shah cheers thank you